Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, we'll just get right into it. Guys, my guest today, uh, Simon Smart. Simon considers himself abundantly blessed by rich life experiences, most of them good, along with leaders and mentors with a habit of showing up in his life at just the right time. Originally from Scotland, he traveled worldwide to work, study, and train before settling in the American Southwest. As well as studying martial arts and combatives, he's been exposed to manhood initiation ceremonies in the emergent masculinity movement for 20 years. He's focused on living a full and expansive life, enjoys growing business and coaching men who have bigger visions for their lives than their current results reflect. Simon, happy to have you on, man. Thank you. Nick, I'm jazzed to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Awesome. All right. So the cool thing about uh, doing podcasts is the audience never really knows how difficult the IT issues can be from time to time, <laughs> but I'm a very transparent person. So uh, I'll let everybody know. We finally got all the kinks worked out, but um, yeah, man, we'll just get right into it, bro. So Apex Masculinity started several years ago. Uh, really traumatic childhood upbringing, you know, some abusive stuff. Ended up spending pretty much my entire adolescent years incarcerated in uh, Texas Youth Corrections. Um, got turned on to drugs really early on and alcohol and different things. And, you know, didn't realize it then, <coughs> excuse me, but began to use those things to medicate a deep-seated pain that I had within myself. Um, for growing up in an environment that I perceived that I perceived to be without love and support, ended up going to prison two different times, and uh, got out in 2004. Had my wake up call, my uh, wake up moment, so to speak, and realized that it was time to, you know, start building an amazing life or start building a better life for myself. But I realized I didn't have any tools, I didn't have any mentors, I didn't have a roadmap. All I had was desire. So for the first gosh, you know, 10, 12 years, it was uh, a shit show, if I could say that, you know, of trying to learn and grow and face plant and figure all this out on my own, uh, with minimal help along the journey. But back in 20, at the end of 2019, um, after some, you know, I'd been on a trajectory of doing well for a while, but 2019 was a catalyst year for me, um, where I fell really bad. And when I pulled myself out of that, um, I started digging really deep and learned a whole bunch about, you know, the neural pathway development that happens in the formative years of our youth and adolescence and how when we go through traumatic stuff or we grow up in environments that are toxic, it really affects your worldview, like your, your view of self and your view of your place in the world it affects your self-confidence, self-esteem, self-image, self-worth, you know, how you value yourself, even your self-identity can be skewed. Uh, growing up in an environment like that, man. So I began to dig deep. We started a podcast. I wanted to reach other guys that had gone through similar uh, situations that were kind of coming, trying to come out of toxic living and wanted to build for themselves an amazing life, but didn't know how. Uh, we also published the book at that time. Um, I've been faithfully sending them out to prisons um, at my cost, you know, just trying to reach guys, been getting great feedback from it. 
But the podcast in the beginning started out with just me monologuing and just sharing what I've learned and my journey and all that. And then season two kicked off of the podcast. And I realized that there were a lot of um, experts into space that could add such a greater dynamic to what I'm trying to build. So I begin to have people come on the show and talk about masculinity and manhood and, you know, avoiding triggers and recovering from trauma and all these different things. And it's been really good, but I'm entering into a new season now where I want to have just heavy hitters on the show, guys that are going to bring the goods and really have impact in the audience's life and my life. Cause I get blessed every time I do these also, but that's what leads me to you you know I came across some of your social media stuff and I was really intrigued and uh, I'm impressed with the manhood quests and all the content that you've been putting out and I'd love to just get right into that but first if you could just kind of walk us through your origin story Simon and uh, we'll get on a trajectory of what you're doing now after that yes sir you know um, we talk about seasons of podcasting but there are also these seasons of life right and um they come and they go and they change you as they go. Um, I had a very different upbringing from you. I had a, I was very lucky. I really won the lottery. Uh, I grew up uh, in the north of Scotland. Um, I got to play in the forests, farmland. I had good parents. My parents are still married. Um, a lot of the challenges guys go through from childhood, I didn't have them. I had a very, I had a great childhood. So I was very, very lucky. Um, but there's a little thing called middle-class malaise. Most people who are born in the middle class, die in the middle class, 2.4 kids, a couple of cars. And for a lot of people, that's a fantastic life. For me, I've always been looking for more. I've always wanted to go deeper into what is life? Uh, who can we become? Uh, how do we live? You know, we, we're given such a short blink of an eye of a life, right? How do we make it as, as powerful and interesting as possible and also have a, a great effect on everyone around us? So I, I wasn't happy. Uh, I went to law school and I remember graduating from law school. I was in a party at the law school. And have you ever had a situation where you have a bit of auditory exclusion and, and you kind of start, you stop focusing on the world around you and you just go into your head a little bit? Well, that happened to oh, me. Sure. And I looked around and I realized I, I don't really like these people and I don't want to spend my life with these people trying to pretend to get on with these people. So I got rid of everything I had and uh, moved to Japan. And there was a teacher, who I, I'd read his books when I was a kid and he was still teaching. He's in his nineties now. And uh, I just went out to Japan to train and I said, I'm going to go here for a year and I'm just going to see what happens. And throwing everything away, and restarting um, was one of the greatest things I'd ever done because for the first time in my life, I actually felt like I was starting to move on on my path and not following the path everyone else was on. And it's very hard to do that. And it can really create a massive explosion of chaos in your life. And suddenly you're, you know, you're on this, this unknown path. So Japan led me to some amazing connections with some guys who were um, studying what has now become the masculinity movement back in the 90s, 2000s. And that was a time where, unlike now, it wasn't really a conversation people were having that we've lost rites of passages, that young men were growing up without guidance, without direction, without maps for how to become the men they could become. None of this was really being talked about. And so for me, that was a, a new conversation. And 
I was 20 and I had this experience I know a lot of guys have had where I grew up, I got my driving license, I was allowed to smoke, I was allowed to buy beers, now I was an adult and inside I just felt like a kid. Um, I had these adult rights, I had an adult body, but nothing had changed. And so I met a gentleman who grew up here in the Southwest and he trained on some of the reservations and he was running traditional style rites of passage ceremonies and initiations, uh, really in the traditional style. And so I trained with him for a long time. I went through a series of, uh, of initiations and experiences and trainings. And that really changed the entire, entire trajectory of my life because it changed, my, changed my, uh, my framework of how I look at myself, my framework of how I look at the world around me and how I define myself and my duties. And that led me to uh, training martial arts, teaching combatives to uh, guys who were deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, I ended up in the Southwest. I got married. I got divorced. I got a son. And uh, my focus now is just on... Um, being the best I can be and, and building a great life for myself and all the people who are in my tribe around me. Yeah. I love it, bro. That's good. If I could uh, just delve a little bit into your time in Japan, when, how long were you over there? About four years in all. Oh, okay. okay. Longer than I planned. Um, yeah. And just studying martial arts and like, like you said, the uh, emergent manhood quest kind of thing while you were over there. Yeah, I was, I was working over there. I, I got pretty good at Japanese. Uh, a lot of the guys that I was rolling with were um, in the Intel community, There's SF guys, some guys out of the embassy. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of very talented Westerners had moved to Japan to train for a year or two. And so I had an amazing okay. community. But um, yeah, tra trained for four years out there um, and then ended up coming back to the Southwest and doing some more training here. And uh, this is where I am now. Awesome. Japan is so, an amazing experience because it is fundamentally, you know, down to the DNA of the country, so different from the West that you have to change yourself to be able to survive in Japan. And I had this interesting experience when I came back to the West. Uh, my body language wasn't quite Western anymore. Uh, the way that I speak and communicate with people had changed very subtly. Uh, Jap Japanese, is a, Japan is a very subtle culture and there's a lot that is unsaid, that is expected that you, you pick up on subtexts, which are usually missing here in the West now. Um, and so it, it kind of, it, it trained my brain to pay a lot of attention to what people don't say and what they don't share. And uh, that helped me a lot in, in business and relationships and, and in coaching guys. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. So like uh, uh, when you got back to the Southwest, got to the States, I guess I should say got to the States for the first time, was it those connections that you had made with military personnel while in Japan is what opened the door for you to begin doing military or training for the military, combative training for our military here? Yeah, that's 100 percent right. I, I decided in Japan it was time for me to leave, time to get back to, you know, building the rest of my life. Can't stay in Japan forever. And uh, as soon as I landed back in the UK, I, I got a couple of calls and the guy said, hey, we got some training contracts here in the US and other places. Uh, we want you to come in as an as a instructor and uh, teach some of the skills you've learned in Japan. And uh, so what we did was we took a lot of these, these ancient Japanese martial arts principles, uh, a lot of which were designed for fighting in armor. And we transferred them to teach guys in the military how to fight in armor. Uh, back then, this is the, the, the early stages of the global war on terror. A lot of their hand-to-hand -hand combatives was uh, showing up in wrestling shoes and wrestling shorts. 
and wrestling, which it's great for building some spirit and building some skills. But when you're wearing 80 pounds of armor and an M4 and a pack and a helmet and you're tired and you haven't eaten for three days and you're injured, you can't do that stuff. You need to learn how to stay on your feet, how to use the weight of the armor. So we were training them to, uh, to fight effectively in their gear, which nobody else at the time was doing. Now it's pretty common. But back then it was pretty cutting okay. edge, which was cool. Nice. Hey, that's cool, bro. I like that, man. Um, so let's get into this whole uh, emergent masculine movement that's going on, man. If I could talk to you about masculine roles, what does that mean to you, masculine roles? It's a great question. Um, and it's really open to a lot of interpretation. And so this is my view. I actually don't believe that masculinity comes with specific roles and duties. To me, masculinity is uh, a psychological, or you might say an, an energetic um, way of being. And when we're born male, we have the ability to go deep into masculinity. It's a way of showing up in the world. The distinction I make is that manhood has a lot to do with who you are and what your role is within society, within your tribe and within your family. So I prefer to talk about the roles of manhood than the roles of masculinity. Since masculinity is more just kind of a, an energy of how, how, you, how you appear or, or psychology. So I'll talk a little bit about the way that, the way that I was trained. Um, when you're born, you're a baby. And so if you think of a piece of paper just with a, a dot in the middle, that's the baby. And there really are no duties and responsibilities. You're just a baby, you're just being. And so traditionally, once you, the, the first ceremony I ever did with my son, he's 11 now. The first ceremony I ever did with him was, it's called a first steps ceremony. He was a year old um, or, or maybe just under that, but he just started, to, uh, just started to walk. And so there's this change from being a baby which exists mostly on the horizontal or as an attachment to the mother to when the child starts to stand upright on the vertical and walk. Now they're starting to become a real human being. And so we put him, there's some ceremony, he's on a blanket, he takes a few steps in each of the four directions. And what that does is it says, here I am in the world and I'm upright and I'm ready to start work. That's what a first step ceremony is. So now you're a boy. And if you imagine that dot on the piece of paper, now what we can do is draw a circle around the dot. It's still a small circle, but it represents the responsibilities and duties of a boy. And they're fairly limited, but they start to grow as, as he grows, right? So the core duty of a boy is to survive, which oftentimes means listening to his mother, listening to his father, not running across the street, not disappearing into the forest, just learn the rules of survival so that we don't have to watch you 24 hours a day. Does that make sense? Yes. And then the next Absolutely. duty of the boy is to start to learn how to live, how to, how to grow up. Now, traditionally, that would be taught by either the father or the grandfather. One of the problems we have in our modern society is that dad's at work all day and the grandfather lives in Florida. So no one's going to teach the boy, or there is no father, which is even more common. But so traditionally, the boy is starting to expand his circle of responsibilities and duties, which might include, you know, some, some manual labor, you know, running some errands and just learning, absorbing and, and getting the, 
the, the essence of the culture that he's born into. That's boy responsibility. And then traditionally, there is a moment where he needs to, needs to become a man. And if you imagine the dot with the circle, the circle representing boyhood responsibilities, now we draw another bigger circle around that, wider responsibilities, uh, more important responsibilities, but also the network of people he's responsible to starts to expand as he enters into manhood. And then traditionally, there would be training from the father, training from the grandfather, training from other men who are inside of his community. And there comes a point when he has to be ceremonially cut away from the tribe. And he, in different traditions, would have to leave and go out into the desert or the mountains. And there's a few elements to it. Number one, it has to be done in a, in a spiritual way uh, because I believe that the transition from boyhood to manhood is primarily a psycho-spiritual experience. And so he'd do some stuff, probably be at some risk of injury or death, overcome it, and then be welcomed back into the tribe as a new man. And so there's this, this very important idea that he is cut away from the tribe, the boy is cast out, he dies somewhere in the wilderness, and then the man that comes back is, is a new man who's now welcomed into the tribe with all these new responsibilities of protectorship and providership, probably at a low level in the beginning, but expanding as he, as he gets more experience. And so even though our modern culture doesn't have any of these things, and if you see the world this way, you're an alien to 99% of people, it still is right. a very effective way to live and build your family and build your community. Sure, so for our modern culture, where there's that cutting off, so to speak, when a young man's like stepping into that final stage on his journey of manhood, um, what would that look like for our modern times where he's just got to kind of go out and survive on his own and pay his own bills and kind of get himself started or whatever and like go that route? Well, that's all there is, right? If you never leave your family home, which is the, the cliche of the millennial, um, you're not even doing that. So certainly for me, the beginning of my transition was leaving what I knew, leaving my culture and going to a different country. That was a good first step for me. But th this becomes difficult because uh, there are ways that you start to get cut away from your family. And it's all natural. Most boys, when they hit about 15, maybe even younger, they start to rebel against their father. And usually we start to get some conflict with our father, disagreements, arguments. It's supposed to be that way. That's part of this process. It's biologically built into us. So even without having to do anything, there, there are some things that are trained into our DNA that we see with all teenage boys being rebellious against the existing family. They're supposed to be. So mm. that, should be, that should be kind of encouraged, embraced, and channeled into something. Now, the hardest part as well is that a lot of parents don't want their kids to grow up. They do, but they don't because a part of their ego identity as parents is tied into being a parent. Um, right. This is a challenge I had personally with my, my biological father is that he was my dad, I was his son, I was a boy, he was a man. I went away and I came back as a man and a very well-trained man and in some areas, uh, I excel above him. And mm -hmm. he, he failed in his responsibility in, in a certain sense because he didn't then accept me as an equal man. He still wants to be the dad. 
And so there's yeah. all kinds of challenges of, of going through these, these growth experiences in our modern culture because the culture we come back to doesn't get it. And that's a real problem. That's a real challenge. Yeah. So it's, it's nowhere near as easy. Even if you try to do the traditional training, most people don't recognize it, which makes a lot of people say, well, what's the value in the first place? Well, the value in the first place is it changes you. It really doesn't matter whether other people get it or not. 99% of people yeah. are never going to get it. No, I'm glad you kind of put that into perspective because I have a 19-year-old and an 11-year-old that's going to turn 12 in a few months. And when my 19-year-old turned that 15-year age, um, he got that rebellious streak. And I remember when we actually got into a fist fight when he was 15. He's a big boy, you know? Yeah. Um, all, all of my biological father's family, got those guys were like 6'4", 280 pounds. And I think he got that gene. And uh, I remember trying to go pick him up one night because he'd gotten into an argument with his grandparents and whatnot, and left the house and run the streets. And I tried to be that overpowering. I'm holding on to this parental identity. You know, you need to get in this car right now because we're going home. And he posted up on me and got in my face like we were like he was going to do something. Uh -huh. And uh, we started swinging on each other pretty good, you know. And man, I've never been hit in the ribs that hard by anybody. And he was 15 at the time. And there was a season where communication between him and I, like we patched that up and we were good there, but there was a season where like he was kind of rejecting all um, parental, parental figure influence in his life. But now that he's 19, um, him and his, uh, his mother and I are not together. This, this was from like a previous relationship, you know, two decades ago, but um, I always worried that maybe I was too hard or whatever and out of the blue like three months ago he called me from Colorado where where we're from and where he had been living and he's like dad things aren't going well here and I know you've always offered to open your home up and it's time for me to get out of this toxic environment and now he lives with us here in North Dakota and the relationship has changed like he's uh embracing me there's no rebellion anymore like he's a full man we are in this weird dynamic where no one because he withdrew and because of the environment he was in there was no masculine influence or manhood influence in his life i guess i should say to kind of teach him like personal responsibility and different things like that so we're walking through a lot of i don't want to call them challenges because i know what i was doing i was headed to prison for the first time when i was his age but there's almost like this openness now to receive my input and my influence and my guidance because he went through that rebellious stage, realized he needed a mentor and was struggling to do it on his own and knew that I was there for him. And now I'm able to give that back. And now the 11 year old, I'm starting to see the percolation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of the oh, rebellion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Little things where I put, you know, we're having a pretty intense discussion and I put my arm out on his shoulder and he pulls that shoulder in like, don't touch me. You know what I mean? And I guess you putting that in perspective lets me know that, uh, you know, like I need, I'm obviously his father and I need to make sure he's making good choices, but that I should almost accept that there is a season coming when he's going to try to find his manhood identity exclusive of me. And I oh, need yeah. to be prepared for that. hundred percent. You know, a lot of people will think, oh, these ways of living, we don't need them anymore because we're, we're this enlightened modern society, but these ancient peoples observed biological processes that happened in boys as they grew up 
And what they did was they built structures around it to channel it properly. You can okay. have a modern society. The biological imperatives still exist. We're just not handling them. And young boys, instead of going out and becoming scouts and becoming braves and learning how to fight for their communities, end up in prison because there's nothing in place to channel those developing boyhood into manhood energies and imperatives into something productive. Or, yeah. or as, a, as a young man, you recognize, hey, I need tribe identity. I'm, I'm not a boy. I need to go somewhere where I'm recognized for what I now am. And if we as parents don't build anything, well, that's what gangs are for. Right. Gangs aren't to make yeah. money and, and, and do crime. Gangs are because you get to have a new identity where you're recognized as more powerful than you were when you were 12 years old and a child and probably right. recognized as more powerful than you're recognized at home. And so that's why we have gang culture and all these things. Um, it would still be there regardless, but there, there need to be structures to channel this developing masculine energy in boys. Because it's going to yeah. go somewhere. Right. Yeah, it's biological. I like that. So let me ask you this. Let's say, and I'm, and I'm assuming from the feedback I get that a large portion of my audience is guys that maybe grew up in environments where there was not structure, support, uh, and supportive love in place to channel those energies, and they had no training. And there's no manhood training, there's no personal responsibility training, and years go by, and they develop a lot of toxic and impulsive habits and choices with consequences in their life, and they get to a spot where they wake up, kind of like my son did just a couple months ago, where he's like, which I'm so proud of that, because, you know, it, it was years after 19 before I had my wake-up call, but he's mm -hmm. had his wake-up call, and he's realizing he needs this training. What would you say to guys on the fastest way for them to, you know, whether it's reading books or track a mentor down or something to begin to develop that training in personal responsibility and fighting impulsiveness and positive habit development and building self-confidence and all that. Where does a person with no training and no support go to start that journey? Great question. So let me backtrack a little bit. There's a lot of guys who sure. have grown up and they were never trained by their fathers. Well, some of them are very angry at their fathers one of the things they might yeah. want to recognize or consider their fathers didn't have training either. Some right. of them were doing Some of them were lost and doing the best they could. So if that's been handed down generation after generation, it's nobody's fault, but what it is, is it's now your responsibility to take a look at yourself and say, okay, I am not the person I need to be or want to be. How do I start to change it? And the biggest mm -hmm. challenge today is a lot of that has to be developed yourself. Now, finding the right books, finding a mentor, uh, joining the military, uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of guys who've had uh, combat experience is its own initiation. And a lot of combat vets are very built around masculinity and manhood because not only have they been in danger, but they've understood their role within a team and how it's their job to protect everyone around them. They have the experience, right? So if you don't have any of that, it's going to take some work. And instead of it being uh, a six-month training period with a, a two days in the mountain and you come back and it's done, because that really is how it used to work. You would go up a mountain feeling one way, 
come down and it was, it's weird. Like I'm, I'm a completely different person. Magic. It works. But without that, yeah. Mentorship books, getting around men who exhibit all different types of manhood and masculinity, finding role models and just being exposed to them, talking to them. Um, this, there's so many little, uh, cubby holes of, of the right energy. Um, go find a cigar club. Cigar clubs are full of old guys with tons of experience sitting around smoking cigars and talking about life <laughs> and business right. and relationships. Now, some of them might be lost, some of them might not be, but it's at least a masculine space where some yeah. of these things are being discussed. So rather than throwing your hands up in the air and saying it doesn't exist anymore, start to become a hunter for those places where you can maybe get a bit of connection and a bit of wisdom because it's out there. There are yeah. many guys who are 60, 70 years old. Their kids never listen to them. Their grandkids don't listen to them. And maybe they were never trained, but they've got 50, 60 years of experience and they'll share it. They would love to share it. Right. It would give them value to share it. So part of the trick is get out of the mindset that it's not available. Start actively looking for it because it is out there. Yeah. It's not easy to find, but it is out there. Yeah, no, I like that, man. For me, 2016 was kind of a catalyst, was also a catalyst year to really begin the study of manhood, personal responsibility, personal growth and development, all that. Um, I've shared the story in a couple previous podcast episodes. Um, again, just trying to learn how to be a responsible man, having some victories in life, but also having an equal amount of face plants and poor decisions. And we were living in an RV down in uh, Southwest Texas, just kind of 30 minutes south southeast of San Antonio. And uh, we were living in an RV at the time. I was making like 500 bucks a week. Um, if it rained, we didn't work. There were a lot of days where it rained that year. The wages were very meager. Um, I remember sitting down at the table in that RV with my wife and, you know, the three kids would be outside playing or whatever, and we'd be doing our finances. And I remember my wife tearing up because we just weren't making it, you know, and I was becoming overwhelmed with this fact that the lack of training, the lack of masculine or manhood influence on my own life had left me devoid of personal responsibility and even knowing how to make good choices. And, uh, I actually got T-boned by a semi that year and almost got killed. And I just remember, man, just being in tears. Like I would go to bed in tears because I knew that my wife had grown up in a very good home with good parents. Her father's a lineman, made great money. Her mom has always worked. <coughs> there were standards. They're a stoic family. They're value-driven. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was looking at my own life and what I was building. And I just got overwhelmed with it all. So I began to reach out um, on podcasts. I was a truck driver, so I'd be able to like plug my phone into the aux, you know, aux receiver on the dash of a truck. And I remember just looking, starting my search, looking through podcasts on, you know, personal responsibility, personal growth and development. And I was so blessed by being able to be in that truck all day because I would listen to hours and hours of podcasts and TED Talk videos on YouTube and you know, downloading books. And whenever I had downtime, I would start reading and different things like that. And uh, there was a lot of people I remember that I feel like I should have been able to go to. But I think the fear and the ego of laying myself bare to somebody with all of my poor choices and how they would receive me or respond to that 
was a preventative for me to being able to go find a face-to-face -face oh, mentor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So when you're deep in that feeling that you're just failing and you shouldn't be, but you're failing and you just feel it in your gut. And then there's the shame around that. And we all want to pretend we're fine. Right. Um, and, and the, the level of dropping ego to just say, Hey, I need some help. I fucked some stuff up. I need some help is one of the hardest things in the world, but also one of the most powerful things in the world when you can finally do it, because a lot of times suddenly we discovered or we discovered that people want to help us. And we were there pretending they didn't yeah. or they couldn't, or we were beyond help. None of us are beyond help. If we're, if yeah. we're willing to do some work. Right. And I think that was the case. I think, I think, I think some of those people, if I would have been real transparent, uh, would have been happy to, uh, you know, reach into my soul with some good advice. You had something on your, um, on your social media about the difference between self-discipline and self-mastery. Before you get into dissecting those two, um, in the event that you're not opposed to self-discipline, you just prefer self-mastery over it. What would you say after you explain the difference are some practical daily strategies for a person to begin to develop self-discipline and self-mastery? Perfect. Uh, I'm not opposed to self-discipline because I love results. Whatever gets results is, is, is perfect. I just think it's a lot more of a joyful life when you have self-mastery. So let's talk about what I see as the distinction. Uh, if you've been in the military, and this is a challenge a lot of vets have when they come out. They've lived a life where they, they're constantly mission-orientated, task-orientated, because they have external discipline imposed upon them. And then they come out into their own lives, and suddenly that external discipline is missing. And then they have to replace it with internal discipline. So what do I see as the, the difference? I see discipline as forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do. And that's life, right? Especially as men, sometimes we have to force ourselves to do things we don't want to do because we have responsibilities. So there's nothing wrong with it. Self-mastery to me is a little bit beyond that where we begin to learn ourselves and learn how to motivate ourselves and learn how to see ourselves and what we're doing and manage our internal states to where it's not so much a battle to make yourself do something as it's, okay, how do I make myself want to do this? Uh, I'll give you a really simple example. A lot of people struggle to work out and forcing yourself to go work out, even when you don't like it every day, is self-discipline, right? Uh, you work out a little bit, Nick? Yes, sir. You look like you do. Yes, sir. Do you, listen, <laughs> do you listen to music while you work out? I do. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, I'm on a Breaking Benjamin kick right now. I don't know okay. if you've heard of them or not. I have. So some, some guitar, some drums, a bit of rock. A lot of guys yeah. listen to hard rock, a lot of guys listen to hip hop, death metal. Very few people listen to like um, orchestra music or some light piano or some elevated music. The reason is that we listen to music that gets us into an energized state where we enjoy working out, we get the attitude, we lift more, we go longer, we get more sweat, more energy. So that is an example, very simple example of self-mastery. You have figured out how to motivate yourself, how to give yourself energy, how to actually like working out through your selection of music. 
So where did that come from, right? You got some self-knowledge and you learned that if I do this thing, I'm going to actually like working out more and I'm going to work out better. So self-mastery is really applied self-knowledge. We learn more about ourselves, what we like, what we don't like, what scares us, what motivates us, how to get ourselves into an energized, active uh, state where we're going to go out and take on the world. That's the self-knowledge and then doing it is self-mastery. And it's a lifelong journey. But the more we learn ourselves through observation of ourselves, journaling, just paying attention to little things, we want to get to a position where rather than having to whip ourselves every single day to get out of bed, the alarm goes off and we think, fuck yeah, another day. I got so much, so much I'm excited about. Let's go. Boom. Self-mastery. Yeah, I like it. I guess that kind of leads into mindset there, developing the mindset that's going to um, I had another guest on earlier today, and he was talking about um, discipline over, 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 how did he put that discipline over motivation? Because motivation will only carry you so far, but developing like strategic discipline um, reforms the neural pathways of your brain mm-hmm. to where you're almost functioning on autopilot for yes. these things that you want to do. Yes. What do you feel about that? I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I love motivational stuff, but even I, I have moved away from it as I've, as I've matured to where I just, I know what I got to do every day and I build the habit of doing it. So for me, going to, going to work out is not a task. It's like the reward of I got everything else in the day done. Now I get to go sweat for a while. I, lo- I love it. Yeah. Um, now in the beginning, I didn't necessarily like working out. It was painful and difficult and I'd rather be chasing girls or something. But now <laughs> I-, I love it because I, I built the habit. I built the pattern. Um, let, right. let, me, let me backtrack and, and kind of, I think you'll like where this is going to go. Because I, I just got off a call with uh, an old client of mine and we were talking about these kinds of things. Back to manhood, right? When we're boys we are motivated by getting the approval of our mothers and fathers. Okay. It's, we have this, we have this uh, almost meme of the father who missed the baseball game, right? Well, why does our son want us at the baseball game? Because when he hits a home run, yeah, he's happy. But what he really wanted was his father to see him hit the home run because he wants his dad to be proud. He wants that approval. Um, at my age and your age, if I hit a home run, that, that's for me. That made me feel good. So we're different right. when we're older because we have more of that uh, wanting to please ourselves and feel proud of ourselves versus a boy who has, is always looking for that external approval and validation. And that's just part of the, uh, the psychology of being a boy, right? We're looking for approval. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a massively important part of evolution because when you have a kid and you tell them not to run across the road, I want them to not run across the road because they want to make me happy, right? It's making me happy that makes them not run across the road. And so it's part of being a child. However, if we don't lose that when we grow up, we become adult men who exist to get approval from others. Uh, It's that boyhood, that's a gift for a child to want to please mm-hmm. their parents. It's, it keeps them alive. If they didn't want to please their parents, they'd run across the road, run into the forest, they wouldn't survive. It's vital to survival to have this need for approval at a young age. 
But when we don't get rid of it because we don't transition into manhood, we grow up to be men who need approval, approval from women, approval from coworkers, approval from people we just fucking imagine on social media who don't even care, right? Right. So, so do you see how that, that approval seeking at a young age is actually a vital part of your development? We just, mm-hmm. need, to have, we just need to have grow it. So there are four areas of life that I have guys focus on. I call them the four foundations. I didn't invent them. It's actually just part of the world we live in. But I tell guys that if you are in great physical shape with high vitality, and you're proud of how you look, you got that, that area covered. We got a great relationship where we're meeting our roles and, and it's creating joy and love with our kids and our, our, our spouses or girlfriends. We're making money and we're bringing home the bacon and we're providing for ourselves and our families. And we have, in whatever shape it takes for us, we have a good spiritual connection with, with ourselves and creator and the, the world we live in. When you have all those four foundations met, life is pretty good. There's always still problems. But life is pretty good. And you kind of build a fairly bulletproof life when you hit these four areas. Now then, back to boyhood. Boyhood is all about desire. And we're defined by our desires in boyhood. We want toys and we want approval. Desire is how we define ourselves and our identity. Traditionally, a man is not defined by his desires. He's defined by his duties. He exists in this web of life of, of whatever he wants to bring into his circle, but you're defined by your duties. And so back to motivation, every day when you wake up as a man, you think about, I'm a man, I have duties. Whether I want to do it or not, I have duties. I have to go provide for my family. I have to stay physically strong to protect my family. I have to stay present and awake and alive and loving in my relationships. And I have to have a good spiritual connection to my creator. That's my job. That's my job. Now, and, and mastery comes in in terms of how do I go deeper in all those four quadrants, right? Um, so it's this distinction between being defined by your desires versus defined by your duties. And motivation doesn't really take you very far when it comes to meeting your duties. You either are a man who cares about them or you're a man who doesn't. Right. Yeah, no, I like that, man. It also puts into perspective my expectancy levels on my 11-year-old son. Um, you know, I want him to be responsible and embrace his duties as a child, but he's in desire role right now. You know what I mean? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's good, bro. Yeah, it's all about Fortnite these days, you know, but I know that the things that I instill into him, um, even though I may not see just like planting a field as a farmer, I may not see the crop that I want during this season of his life. I know that if I show it and instill it, when he hits manhood, he's going to draw back upon that stuff. We were actually talking about that. I took him all to the park today so my daughters could play. And me and him were sitting on the park bench and talking about that. And I was asking him to define for me what the role of a father is because I knew that he was going to immediately draw upon what he see for what, 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 what he sees from my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was also kind of, fi- I was kind of fishing a little bit, you know, to like, not that I need his validation, but I wanted to see if he would say anything um, because I believe truth can come from anywhere. Say oh, yeah. anything that would strike a chord or show up um, as something I need to work on. And I said, so what does a man do? You know, and he goes, they work, they eat, 
and they take naps. Because <laughs> I get up super early in the morning, bro, and I like to go to bed early. But man, I'm an avid like, you know, if I, I obviously I can't do it at work, but on the weekends I get my power naps and stuff. But man, I want so bad, Simon, to break the cycle. Um, my dad did the best he could with what his dad gave to him, you know, and you mentioned that in the beginning and I need to be mindful of that. Um, I don't hold any grudges, you know, there's no like lingering bitterness or anything like that. The more I reflect on that because I've made terrible choices as a father myself and I would want the same grace, you know what I mean? But I want to break the cycle to where my son is not impulse driven. You know, like uh, like I was talking with the other guests that I had on this morning, man, uh, men today are very impulse driven um, when they're hungry. They go to the fridge and they eat whatever they go fast food, whatever. When they're horny, it's straight to Pornhub. When, you know, they're angry, someone cuts them off in traffic. It's instant road rage. Uh, you know, when they're tired, there's no self-discipline or self-mastery, you know, to stay up and push through responsibilities that need to be done. Like we are slaves in society. I guess I should say Western society of what our impulses, our impulses dictate our behaviors. And I think manhood, especially in America, is suffering because of that and i want to see my son grow up and have a healthy robust sense of self-mastery self-discipline and the ability to deny impulse for the greater good you know yes yes um it's one of the hardest things in the world because um i i believe that as men we have an animal nature and a spiritual nature and this desire driven impulse driven is is animal nature Right. And, and as we grow, we're constantly trying to grow beyond our animal nature. Um, that's part of the spiritual quest of, of, of humanity. Um, so when I train guys, you know, we, we do things like uh, like fasting. You know, guys, when I used to run events, guys would come to my event looking for a business seminar. And then uh, suddenly they're not eating that day. Well, why, why fast? I mean, there, there are some um, there, there, there are some health benefits with fasting. But the real thing for me is when you realize you can go two or three days, five days, whatever it is, without eating, and then you start to realize that, oh, I eat at six o'clock every night simply by habit, not because I'm hungry, just habit. And so this is really, you know, this is, this is what I refer to as ego. Uh, ego to me is attachment to things. And very often it's an attachment to a habit. And then when we start to really have awareness of, hey, I'm eating just because I habitually eat, then we can at least start to notice it. I, I met a therapist once. She was an amazing old lady. She'd worked for NASA on the Cassini project, and then she'd become a psychiatrist. And I, I asked her, what, how, do you, how do you change habits? And she said, the hardest thing about habits is that oftentimes we're not even aware that we have them. Yeah. And so she said, Stop worrying about changing the habit and just start noticing the habit. And usually when you'll notice it a few minutes after you did it. Right. You'll jump on <laughs> Pornhub. You'll jump on Pornhub completely unconsciously. And it's only towards the end or afterwards that you're like, oh shit, I'm on Pornhub. I didn't mean for that. Okay, we're starting to notice and then we can say okay well what what happened beforehand what triggered it why why did i need to do that and so oftentimes just awareness is the beginning of changing a habit mm. and she said you're going to notice the habit afterwards 
But then as you notice it more and you get better at the noticing, you're going to notice the habit as you do it. And then when you work and work even more, you might get to a point where you notice the habit before you do it. And that level of awareness of noticing the habits about to happen is where you start to be able to change. Right. Oh, I like that, man. That's good. And that's just self-awareness. Yep. No, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the first step, man. It's just becoming self-aware of the animalistic impulses and behaviors that we have in us. And I think it's, uh, and you know what? I should probably say this real quick. I know you're watching that 40 minute clock. You just interrupt. If we got to do another round, like record another session or whatever, you just I think I'm good. I stuck stuck my credit card in. I think I'm good as long as they upgrade. Oh, wow, man, I did. (laughs) I'm sorry. And honestly, (laughs) thank you. I I actually hadn't done any long Zooms for a few months and my card had changed and I hadn't hadn't gone in to update it. And and I needed to. It was one of those things I know I needed to do and I hadn't got around to it. So, you know, I'm grateful that you... uh, kicked my ass and check, checking one more thing off my ever expanding okay, to-do list. <laughs> right. Who would have known the lingering effects from a North Dakota blizzard would, 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 would help out that way? <laughs> Chaos theory, so, um, right? One, one thing happens in Dakota and suddenly uh, Zoom has my credit card. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So um, going back to the social media post, I've seen something on there about getting back on the path. So I think when guys, um, especially guys, you know, coming from a traumatic past or a past where there wasn't a lot of personal discipline taught into them or ingrained into them, and they have the wake up call, the self-awareness moment, and they're ready to start building their life. And there's this like tug of war that takes place where they're making good decisions, but then having these epic blowouts and then making good decisions and have epic blowouts. I think a lot of guys, if they're not careful, they get stuck on the failures and they don't see the successes and they let the failures almost define who they are as a man and lead them to this like next logical conclusion that because I failed, I'm obviously not capable of becoming an apex man or a better man. What would you say to someone that's in that place where the battle is hot right now of being their old man and their new man, and they're having failures on how to get up and get back on the path. Okay, so a guy has had some successes, he's been getting some progress, and he's fallen back into some old habits, or he's lost some traction, and he feels like he's getting nowhere. Or even worse, he feels like he's going backwards. Very, very calm. Okay, here, here's what I would say. If that's, if that's a guy listening to this, fucking bravo here's why you actually care you actually notice 99 yeah. of men on this planet are failing day after day after day getting worse every day getting weaker every day getting more disconnected from purpose and from their own soul every day and number one they haven't noticed number two they don't even care yeah. so if you're a guy who cares that he's backslidden a little bit, you're already kind of winning. You're already ahead of the pack because you care. If it's not pissing you off and frustrating you and making you angry, then you have a real problem. So yeah, bravo, you're already like top 10% because you give a shit, right? I like that, bro. So then give yourself a pat on the back and then get back to work, right? Results come from work. 
and results come from the right work. That's all. So you need to draw a map. You need to be very fucking crystal clear about where you're at today. Most people don't actually even know where they're at today because they don't even have the courage to look at it. They don't have the courage to actually be honest about their physical health. They don't have the ability to be honest about their income or their business or their career and how they're providing. They don't even want to go near their spirituality because they know how broken they are. And they don't want to admit that they've screwed things up in their relationships. So they don't even want to touch it. So the hardest thing after saying, okay, I screwed up is doing an audit of where am I at? An honest audit, because if we don't find our location on the map right now, we can't navigate anywhere. If you take a direction and a distance from a location that's wrong, you're going to end up in the wrong place. So there's a ton of like courage and self-honesty grabbing a piece of paper and just writing down where the fuck you're at. And it doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just the truth. It's all there is. It's just the truth. And it's not, you, you don't judge it. It's just the truth. It just is what it is. And we all start and finish mm-hmm. different places. And none of that matters because it's just, where are you right now? You've got to really be crystal clear on that. And then you need to figure out well, where do I want to get to? What do I actually want? Not what do my parents want for me? Not what does society want for me? Not even what does my wife want for me? What do I want? Because if you grab any of those other people's motivations, you're going to fail in your journey. Number one, you're going in the wrong direction. It's not your direction. It's not your path. It's someone else's path for you. Number two, you're never going to have the drive to get there because you don't care. They care more than you care. So where do you want to go? Where do you, where do you truly want to go in your gut, in your heart, in your soul? So now we've got a current situation, a current position, a desired position. And then the final key to this that I tell people is we all then think about what actions do I have to take to get there? Right? What actions do I have to take to get from A to B? That's, that's powerful, but what's more powerful is to think about who do I need to become to get from A to B? Because I don't believe that it's our actions that drive our results. It's who we are that creates results. Who we are causes us to naturally, through self-mastery, take the right actions together. So if I'm not where I want to be today, it's because I'm not who I need to be today. Who the fuck do I, like I need to become? And then I have to put training processes in my daily life to transform me into the guy I need to be to get to where I need to go. The end. Awesome, bro. I like that, man. So talking about you know getting back on the path, that was more like dealing with the internal condition of man like he's on the path of trying to be a better man he's dealing with his own impulsivity dealing with his own you know toxic habits and different things like that you painted a, a, a clear-cut like blueprint path for those guys to be able to get on the right trajectory let's talk about barriers so getting back on the path is more of the internal game what if a guy is to that place where he's sat down he's written out you know here's where i'm failing Here's where I'm winning, um, you know, journaling, so to speak, kind of figuring out what do I want for myself? And it could be in his relationships, in his career, maybe going back to college or trade school, um, you know, getting out of debt, saving money, all these different things. And he starts the process because he's defined his map and he's defined his destination. And then he gets hit like we all do. 
with all of the obstacles and challenges of the external, not the internal game. Now we're dealing with the external where he'll run into roadblocks. And if he's not careful, see that as a sign from God or the universe that what he's trying to achieve isn't attainable or it's not for him. What would you say to encourage guys to deal with the obstacles, challenges, and roadblocks and see them more as like launching pads to get where he wants to be? Before we spoke, I was talking to a guy who, uh, you won't mind me saying this, he had some mental health challenges when he was 20. He's now in his late 40s, and for the first time ever, they, uh, they came back. He has some real, real challenges the last few months, caused chaos in his business, chaos in his relationship. Um, he threw a lot of things that were working for him out. Um, so him and I just had this conversation. Uh, I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard that business is a roller coaster? Sure. Money comes in, money goes out, just chaos every single day. He said, and, and so let me back up a little bit. One of the things that caused him to have some mental health challenges was that he had taken on more chaos in his life than he could reasonably manage. And the chaos of what he grabbed, most of it wasn't even his chaos. It was other people's chaos he didn't need to worry about, but he'd taken ownership of it and it just overwhelmed him like a tidal wave. And so now he's getting back on his feet. He's rebuilding some business but he's afraid that there's this idea that business is a roller coaster and it's going to throw him off again. Now, revenue from a business can be a roller coaster, but what I like people to focus on is one day at a time, what do I need to do every single day? And this is, this is building habit. This is, this, is, this is not worrying about the results and just focusing on the process. So for him, we can't all spend a thousand plates per day, right? He has four plates. He has four plates. Every day he needs to sweat and eat clean. Not perfect. Some days he's going to eat better than others, but he needs to watch his diet. He needs to do some workout. Some days it's going to be a big workout. Some days he's got 10 minutes. He can knock out 100 push-ups and 100 squats, right? So that's his physical health, his vessel, the gift that was given to him in his physical body. Boom, spin the plate. And he comes over here. His wife's been putting up with a lot, probably more than he realizes she's been putting up with. He needs to do some work on his relationship. He needs to be present. He needs to check in with her. He needs to acknowledge he's made some, issues, some mistakes and promise her he's going to fix them. And then he has to daily display that he's working on it because women watch like hawks when they're worried about their men. Like, like she's supportive of him, but it's, it's female biology. She's more worried about her and her ch children's physical survival, right? Yep. Even if she loves him, if she starts to lose respect or feel like he's not gonna make it, emotionally, she's gonna start to go away. Just the way it is, not a bash on women. Survival is everything. So he right. needs to come over to his relationship plate, boom, give it a spin. Then he needs to come over to his spiritual health. He's got some spiritual chaos going on. I don't care what that is. I don't care what religion you are. We are limited, finite human beings, and somehow we're in this giant ocean of creation and the universe and creator, whatever you believe in. You need to go past the, past the physical reality into the non-physical reality. You need to align yourself. That's what I believe. Boom. Whatever your practice is, give that a spin. Now we've got three plates spinning. Come over to our business. Business is learning about business, sales and marketing, closing, and the service delivery. Boom. Give it a spin. So all he needs to do every day is spin this plate, right? Four plates. Mm. 
And some days are going to go great. You can have a great workout, loving relationship, spiritually connected, business progress. Other days, his workout sucks. He feels disconnected. His wife is fighting with him and he loses a client. But who gives a shit? Because what did he do? He spanned his plates every day. We're here for the long run. We spin our plates every day. That's what we focus on. Mm-hmm. Where, we, where we get thrown off and we, we feel like we're failing is because we're too focused on the result. We're not focused on, am I do, did I do my work today? And whatever the result is, okay. if I do my work every day across my four sectors, I can go to bed. It was a good day. I did what I had to do. Because as a man, I'm defined by what? I like results, but I'm defined by, by my duties. Did I meet my duties that I have set for myself every day? And I keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I don't need a thousand duties. I got four things I got to do. After that, yeah. I'm good. I like that, bro. I like that. In my own life, I've noticed the thing that fights my confidence and my growth the most is not living in alignment with my core values or my core beliefs. And what I mean by that is I understand as a man that the way I grew up put me in a place completely devoid of self-confidence. And I think a man needs to be able to believe in himself and his abilities to spin those plates and to do well in those areas. And I've got my map and I've defined my core values, my destination, where I want to go and the steps that I need to take to get there. And then when I have an epic blowout in character, whether it's um, the way I treated somebody, something I, a plate I didn't spin and I knew I should have, uh, uh, a lapse in good judgment, a relapse, um, a, a day of impulsivity, whatever, I feel so like beat down by it that it actually fights my ability to stay in my confident zone, show up the next day and spin those plates with success and confidence. What would you say, um, you know, for, for living your core values? And if you step out of alignment with your core values, would you agree that it fights terribly in your ability oh. to show up strong? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we all do it all the time, right? Because we're all so imperfect and the world is so chaotic and complex and it's more complex than we can deal with. Now, why, why do we need values and, and core, core values, right? One of the reasons we need to have core values, I believe, is that when the world throws us complexity, we don't need to make new decisions about who we are and what we believe. We've already made the decisions in the past. So we already have a roadmap. We've already built for ourselves and how to deal with these situations. But we don't always get it right because we're, we're trying to make the complex simple. And sometimes it's just complex. So when we do it, mm-hmm. what do we have to do? We need to, we need to make amends, right? We, we, we failed, we let someone down, we let ourselves down and we need to do what we can do to make it right. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. It's just the way it is. Sometimes I got to make it right with someone else or a client or, or, you know, a loved one more difficult. Sometimes I got to make it right with me. And I'm the least forgiving motherfucker around when it comes to me. <laughs> right. Everyone yeah. else will be like, Hey man, I know you got low on your plate. Don't worry about it. Thanks. It, w- it wasn't even a big deal. Me, man, what, a, what an asshole I am to myself. Right. So I, I got to start to learn to change that. Um, I like, to debrief myself at the end of each day. I don't do it every day, but especially if I have a hard day, I'm gonna carve out 10 minutes at the end of the day. I'm gonna journal, I'm gonna sit down and think about, okay, what happened? 
what went wrong? What do I need to do to fix it? And then I can close the book on that. I get up tomorrow and I figure it out. Um, I've also developed tools over the years to where I actually believe that screwing things up and experiencing pain and setback actually holds the key to wisdom. Right. Wisdom is this interesting thing in our society because it's mostly missing and it, it, mystical old men with beards on the, the mountaintop have wisdom and maybe some of us have it or we don't have it. Well, I actually believe wisdom can be in, intentionally developed. You certainly develop it over time and experience, but I think if you pay more attention to what's happening every day, you actually develop wisdom faster especially if you sit and look at it and say, okay, what, what's the lesson? So I, I have uh, a tool I made is I call it the, um, the pain to production cycle. Uh, and, and it's a circle. And, and so when, when I sit down, I like journaling, but sometimes we don't know what to talk about when we're journaling, right? And sometimes we grab a pen and paper and an empty page. And I don't know. I don't know what to write. So it's that when I teach martial arts, sometimes you know what you want to teach and sometimes you don't. So sometimes the best way to teach martial arts is you go up to a student and you take a stance and you go, you go, okay, throw a punch. And then the punch comes in and your training kicks in and then you do something and then now I've got a teaching point. So I actually need energy from the student before I can do anything. Um, podcasts, when, when you're a coach, or when, you, when you're a coach, you want to, you want to share what you do on a podcast or on marketing or on social media. And sometimes it's hard because you think oh, there's all these things I do. I don't know what to talk about. But then when a, when a client or a, a student comes to you and says, Hey, I got this problem. Well, suddenly they gave me energy and now I can actually start to help them. So we need, we need to get hit before we can start to, you know, use our skills as men. It's just a weird thing I've discovered. So what I would do when I was journaling is I would say, okay, what's just fucking eating me right now? Like, what am I pissed about? What's just, what's just like uh, driving me crazy? And then I would just write down, hey, this is driving me crazy. And then from there, I'd start to say, okay, I journal more and I delve into it and I got past the blank page problem that I know we've all had. So mm -hmm. what I then did is I, I built this circle where what I'll do is I'll write down what's just eating at me. What's, what's just freaking aggravating me. And it's usually about what I did or what somebody else did. And then I'll write down how I feel about it. And usually I'm, I'm pissed about it, driving me crazy. And then what I do is I say, okay, what's the story? And what's the story that I'm telling myself that gives this any kind of emotional freight? Why is it affecting me? And, and I'll write down, okay, the story I'm telling myself is that um, I tried to initiate sex with my wife and she rejected me. And the story is she doesn't love me anymore and I'm unattractive and I'm never going to have mm -hmm. sex again for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm an old man. <laughs> well, that's the right. story. And then, and then you can say, okay, is that true? Because we always have these stories in our head. It's the stories that give what happened to us any weight. Otherwise, it's just stuff that happened. The story you create in your head is really where the work has to happen. So I'll write down the story and then I'll say, is that even true? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. And then I'll go even deeper and I'll say, okay, what's the lesson for me here? Uh, the lesson for me here is, I mean, in the example I gave, uh, I'm not secure in the fact that my wife is attracted to me. 
which means I'm not secure in the fact that I am physically, emotionally, and spiritually masculine and sexy enough for her, for example. I mean, personally, I am, but maybe other guys aren't, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I take what happened. I figure out what's the fucking story I'm telling myself. And then I go into, okay, what's the lesson? And I'll, I'll turn the lesson into some sort of wisdom about what happened to me. And then what I'll do is I got those four plates I mentioned, right? That I'm spinning. I'll say, okay, how do I apply the lesson to my physical health? How do I apply the lesson to my business? How do I apply the lesson to my relationships? And on and on. And so I'll take what happened, turn it into wisdom, and then apply it into the pieces of my life I'm working on. And a lot of times that will actually lead me in the end, at the end of the circle, to two or three things I need to do in the next 24 hours that I hadn't even realized I needed to do. And so... Long story short, there's some value in taking all the difficult shit that happens to us and actually looking for the lesson and the wisdom in it. And that's how we grow from being a young, inexperienced, ignorant man into being an older, wiser man who actually has some value to younger men coming up because we've not just lived the experience, we've examined it and we've pulled out those little pieces of wisdom about how the world works and how we work. I like it, man. Simon, I got one more for you before I let you go. Um, I promised these kids we were going to do a bonfire in the backyard tonight. And the uh, funny thing about North Dakota, it sits really high up on the hemisphere, man, so the sun stays out. So I got a few more minutes, but I wanted to get into this um, warrior protocol events, the crucible, all of this stuff. If you could take a few minutes and talk to us about that and like, you know, getting it started and the results that you've seen and are you still doing it and all of this stuff. I love, I'd love to hear about this. Who starts your bonfire? I do. Youngest kid starts the fire. Okay. Do Youngest tell. Youngest kid starts the fire. It's a simple job that frees you as the father up to do more important tasks. Okay. So we, we always, a friend of mine shared this with me. He, he's got kids. He always has the youngest kids start the fire. And I started thinking about it and I realized that's so traditional, so cool, because the kid is creating the, the flame that the rest of the family comes around, right? It's like, I'm out hunting, but my son has the fire going for when I get the meat back. So always look, especially with an 11 year old, look for jobs that he could do. And, and here's another thing, how proud is an 11 year old gonna be that he started the fire that the whole family got to spend time around? So it's a cool thing. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. when, when we have these younger kids, there's some value in thinking, okay, I can do this you know, in a heartbeat, but can I pass it off? Can he, can he learn some stuff from doing this? Just an aside. So Warrior Protocol was my attempt years ago to help some guys who are having problems. More than anything else, I'm selfish. I was trying to help me, right? Uh, in 2012, my son was two years old. I was on a trip to Australia. And out of nowhere, I suddenly had uh, a serious uh, episode of depression, suicidal depression out of nowhere. And um, I got past it. I tried some medication. It was horrible. The medication was worse than being depressed and getting off the meditation medication was, was also terrible. So I then really said, okay, I need to build my life in a way that my life is bulletproof against that kind of stuff ever happening again. And so I built some procedures and some trainings for myself. And I started to share them with some other guys and that eventually turned into uh, warrior protocol. So 
Warrior Protocol, I do online coaching. I do some one-on-one coaching. And for a while before COVID, I was also running some physical events. And not only were we having deep conversations about manhood and roles and responsibilities and how your ego can throw you off course, um, I was taking some of the traditional uh, teachings I got from my, my old mentor who spent time on the reservation and sharing it with modern businessmen and really creating a three-day uh, event uh, it was never what they quite expected. Um, they came because they wanted to be better at business. And very quickly, they realized business wasn't the problem. They were the problem. And so I actually turned it into a kind of a rite of passage training where these guys left with a new version of themselves. Um, I'm pretty traditional in the way I do things. My, my guys at my business events were actually having visions in, in the traditional way of um, seeing a vision and a path for the future. Um, some pretty cool stuff. And then COVID came along and we, we stopped all that. So now I'm uh, beginning to rebuild and enjoy coaching again. I also went through a divorce. And uh, I don't know if you, you, you've probably had this situation where you're, you're feeling useful, you're feeling like you have value and like you have wisdom. And then somebody comes along and you just say, man, I, I don't want to teach. I, I don't want to spend an hour on the phone with a guy who's having problems in his relationships when I'm getting divorced. So I stopped teaching sure, for a while. Sure. Um, and then a couple of months ago, um, my friend runs a dojo here in town and I often go back as a, a guest instructor. Um, there's a kid, 17 years old, who I trained a lot, I demonstrated on him and he was killed, he was shot dead, um, which is a big shock to the community. Uh, he was actually trying to help a girl get out of a bad relationship and um, ended up, he won the fight twice and then didn't extract himself from the area properly and got shot. Um, afterwards, I was talking with his mother and his uncle and his, his father and come to discover he loved training with me. He loved what I shared, my energy, my attitude, my, uh, my other things I throw in when I teach martial arts. And uh, I didn't know, I had no idea he valued me in that way. And it really hit me. And I realized that I'd been very selfish for the past few years in not teaching and sharing the things that I was given. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to, I had to live with that and deal with that. And so that's why I've decided to start sharing and teaching again. Now um, I'll be doing probably some online classes here soon. Uh, do social media on Instagram and TikTok. Um, but my goal is to get out of my own way. Like all of us. Stop being selfish, like all of us. Stop being self-absorbed and realize that a lot of this stuff is not about me. And there's a lot more guys who are struggling. And those of us who figured out even a little bit um, really have a duty and a responsibility to try as, as our capacity allows to help other guys. I like it. Yep, that's the whole reason I do Apex Masculinity Bros because with what little bit I got, I want to give back. And if it helps move the needle for one guy, even just a little bit to see some positive change, then, then I feel like I've made good with the short time that I have here. Um, normally, normally I, because I said I'd cut it, I would cut it, but only because you hit on depression. I got one more for you. My wife had a coworker tell her that kids that had ADD and ADHD in their youth and adolescence um, struggle to produce proper healthy amounts of dopamine when they get into their adult years 
And then as you know, just losing testosterone when you hit your 30s and then it starts to decrease exponentially as the years go by, being 43, I noticed myself getting stuck in these massive depressive ruts. And I couldn't figure out why, because I would sit down and analyze my life. I'm like, dude, I have an awesome career. I make six figures annually. Um, just bought a 2,300 square foot, five bedroom house. My kids are in private school. I'm helping my wife get through, you know, her career and her dreams are being realized, her ambitions. You know, I'm healthy. Like, why can I not get out of this manic state of depression? And I had to look at the biological aspect of, and the, I'm sorry, the biological, physiological aspect of being ADHD when I was a kid, no longer producing proper dopamine levels, losing testosterone and all that stuff. And I found that lifting weights for me was a great way to kick the day off, releasing dopamine. And it carries me through the day in a positive mindset. But just because we're on topic, what are your thoughts on testosterone boosters for men that are getting late 30s, late 40s and beyond? And what is a brand that you would recommend for a guy? And this is totally for me, Simon, to take as a testosterone enhancement, like um, Nugenics or whatever. You see the commercials all the time, a, a healthy testosterone booster that'll begin to elevate testosterone levels and maybe help fight that depression and bring some health back. Okay. ADHD kids, let's make a distinction about when they maybe have problems creating dopamine later in life. We have ADHD kids who have ADHD and we have ADHD, ADHD kids who took some drugs for ADHD. Right. Those are, those are divergent pathways. Uh, I actually believe that the drugs they give for ADHD will cause a host of other side effects. Um, so if I could talk right. about ADHD for a moment. Uh, sure. My son, when he was six, was told, I was told by his teacher to take him to a psychiatrist because he wasn't concentrating in class. Uh, he had bad concentration. Well, this is a kid who can sit for four hours doing Lego without peeing. So he did not have a concentration problem. He just wasn't interested in what the teacher was saying. And I watched one of her classes. I wasn't interested in what the teacher was saying either. She was <laughs> old, slow, boring. She was bored. Right, right. We were bored. I, I wanted ADHD uh. drugs by the end of the class, right? <laughs> so, so number one, it is absolutely normal for children to be mm. fascinated by what they love, in his case, Lego, and bored mm. by an old lady rambling away about stuff that had no context or val perceived value for him, okay? Sure. It's not ADHD, it's called being a kid. Right. I am 42 years old. If you put me in a room with someone going on and on about stuff I don't care about, that has no value for me, I will, well, I won't fall asleep. I will just leave. Yeah. I'm done. But if you put me in a room with someone talking about something that fascinates me, I, I will, I'll sit there all day. I, I'll probably walk around a lot because I got a pace to learn. But um, yeah. does that mean I have ADHD? Let me rephrase it a different way. If ADHD is being hyper-focused on things you're interested in and not caring about stuff you don't care about, that sounds pretty healthy to me. One sure. step further, I'm, I'm blessed to know a bunch of guys who are extremely successful in business, millions and millions of dollars in income per year. Every single one of them was diagnosed with ADHD. ADHD okay. 
I believe is just hyper-focus. It is a freaking superpower. If you're a person who can sit there and pretend to be interested in stuff you're not interested in, you're not normal. You're just a liar. So I don't necessarily even believe in ADHD, except in extreme outlying cases. That's my position on that. Um, Testosterone. Certainly there are two issues with testosterone. Number one, we are no longer living the natural lives that our physiology was built for. And that's one big reason why our modern testosterone levels are less than 50% of what they were in World War II. And in fact, if you look at the recommended range for testosterone, um, seven or eight years ago, the top of the range was 1,200 NGI or whatever it is. Now it's like 800. And the range of normality keeps going lower because they base the range of normality on the average levels in society. So as the average levels fall and fall and fall, your expected range falls and falls and falls. Now, if the top was 1,200 five years ago, what was it 500 years ago? 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 natural natural living men. So what I recommend for testosterone for guys, certainly 40 plus and maybe in your 20s because we are living in a world which is just full of chemicals that cause all kinds of problems, just the way it is. Plus, if you've been raised only by your mother, you probably have lower testosterone just biologically it's an effect that happens so get tested you can get tested online it's a couple hundred bucks usually to get tested um and then if you need to boost your testosterone don't do anything until you've optimized your lifestyle great diet lifting weights pushing yourself hard dealt with a bunch of your normal psychological stuff get a great lifestyle down because without that that might solve a lot of the problems. And even if it doesn't, it's a great base to add testosterone into. Next, a lot of the products sold for testosterone boosting don't really work. So there's a lot of creams and pills and things like this. If you don't have the ability to properly produce testosterone as you should, uh, all those pills won't do anything. They'll make a lot of money for a lot of companies, but they won't do anything. The only truly uh, reliable way to boost testosterone that I've ever come across is exogenous testosterone injected uh, subcutaneously into the, into the stomach on a regular basis. A lot of doctors will recommend coming to their office every two weeks. Well, they just want you to come to their office because then they can charge you for the injection. What you need is take home with insulin needles. Um, don't inject into the muscles because you create so much scar tissue over time. You can mess up the muscles. They used to think you couldn't inject into your body fat because body fat can uh, turn testosterone into estradiol, but it actually doesn't. So the best way to do it is about every three days, inject subcutaneously into the gut. It's the only thing that will reliably uh, give you a solid continuous baseline. The other thing that I see a lot, and I'll throw out Jay Campbell, my buddy Jay runs a podcast. He has a book on testosterone. He's a real expert on testosterone. Jay Campbell's worth following. Uh, TRTrevolution.com. The half-life of testosterone is about four days, I believe. And the challenge with it is that when it's injected, over time, the testosterone is converted into estradiol and estrogen, right? So a lot of doctors that inject weekly or bi-weekly, a guy will feel great for three or four days when his testosterone is high. And then all that stuff is converted into estradiol and estrogen. 
and he feels like a little bitch mm-hmm. for about a week. So it's this horrible okay. roller coaster. It's like it's like having your period every week and a half for guys that do that. Terrible. So the best way that I've seen is guys who inject about every three days and just keep the level constant. Mm-hmm. Now the okay. downside is if you start adding okay. if you start adding exogenous testosterone. It's going to change some of the other chemistry of your body where you stop creating testosterone naturally. Now getting off of it is going to be a hard thing. So it certainly isn't something you should play with unless you've got everything else dialed in and you're still not getting the result you need. Okay. So lifestyle. So um, what I'm getting here is there's not really any over-the-counter products, pills, powders, creams that are really worth the money to invest in. But if you get your psychology, get some peace with like peace within yourself about yourself exercise stay away from like processed foods have a healthy diet you know what i mean that that right there will have a positive effect does exercise boost testosterone levels certainly uh lifting heavy has there's a lot of research that lifting heavy creates more testosterone um for a window but still it's it's still happening you're still training your body to create it uh, I believe that stress okay. is certainly an energy or an enemy of uh, good hormonal function. So if you're stressed all the time, worried all the time, you got to find some inner peace. You got to work that stuff yeah. out. It, it'll kill you and it'll mess up your testosterone on the way. Uh, and the last point I'll yeah. make is a lot of people see injecting testosterone as cheating. Um, and so they don't want to do it. If you've got everything else dialed in and your testosterone isn't responding, um, it's not your fault, most likely, that it's low. Uh, you've lived in a poisonous environment for most of your life, like chemicals in the water and in the food, and it messes us up, right? So it's not cheating. It's actually fixing yourself so you can go optimize the rest of your life. Right. Good um, deal. And the, la- the last misbelief that I've, I've heard quite often from guys that I've recommended this to is that testosterone makes you super aggressive. Um, I have never seen that. Uh, guys who are low on testosterone are moody and bitchy and aggressive. Uh, guys who have uh, their head right and their heart right and their testosterone let, right are usually very centered, very strong, calm protectors. And that's what we need more of. Yeah, awesome. It's been really good, bro. Before we close out, Simon, how can guys connect with you, man, if they want to like just check out your social media stuff or any of the training programs and uh, Manhood Quest and events that you do? Uh, best place to follow me is Instagram, uh, warrior underscore protocol. I'm also on TikTok a little bit. Uh, my email is simon at warriorprotocol.com. Um, if guys need some tools or some help, uh, I'm always happy to do it. Some things I charge for, some things, you know, are, are really easy fix. Um, and like I said, we all got to support ourselves in this. But if you're good at something, you should charge for it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's good stuff, man. Well, for our IT stuff that we had going on earlier, you're obviously the host on this one, man. So uh, I'm excited to get those links back from you and I will get them uploaded to the podcast and to the YouTube channel as soon as I get them from you. And uh, yeah, we'll get them out there for the guys to listen to. Simon, thanks again for being on. I appreciate you, bros.